Hello, and welcome to The Air Walk with Jessica Baker. Today, I interview Nicole Gagliano from Wild and Wise CSA up here in Petrolia, California. Nicole is an herbalist, a farmer, a mother, and a really great chef who cooks at a lot of the local events like the Northern California Women's Herbal Symposium and the newer Buckeye event. Thanks for listening to The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Jessica. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Great. Well, we've known each other for a few years, and I know all of the cool things that you do, but why don't we tell our listeners a little bit about you, starting with, you know, a little bit about your history, where you grew up, and if you had a connection to plants as a child, or if herbalism was something you came to as an adult, you know, just a little bit about who you are, how you became an herbalist, and how you found your passion to have an herbal CSA. I grew up in, well, just outside of New Orleans, Louisiana, a place called Chalmette. I don't tell people that very often. Uh, It's just a few miles outside of New Orleans. I grew up with no herbalism in my life at all. It's much later in my like mid-twenties. I was a cook for a living for about 10 years. I worked for the Ritz-Carlton Hotel for a long time as a like a banquet cook and doing hot food and then a pastry cook making, you know, all kinds of pastries and wedding cakes and stuff. And I thought that's what I wanted to do for a living. And I was doing it and it actually turned out it's not what I wanted to do. It wasn't making me happy. After all this cooking with food, I started thinking about like where the food was coming from and how I had no idea how to grow food, had never gardened or grown any food my whole life. That's what started the change of a job, first of all. I was having my quarter life crisis. I was 25. So from wanting to know how to grow food, I started thinking about using food as medicine and then eventually plants as medicine. That's kind of a short version. Okay, great. So did you start cooking in Louisiana and then you moved from there? Yeah, I started cooking in restaurants as a teenager and wind up working at a a restaurant in New Orleans called Broussard's. And I had a chef who hired me like I didn't know how to do much. I'd only worked in one other restaurant and he encouraged me to go work for the Ritz-Carlton that was opening in New Orleans He said, they'll pay you to learn. Like, you should go there. You shouldn't go to culinary school. You should get a job and you should go work at this hotel. It'll be great practice. And then from there, I transferred to the Ritz-Carlton in Atlanta, Georgia, and lived in Atlanta for five and a half years. And then was it after Atlanta that you ended up moving to Humboldt County? From Atlanta, I moved back home to New Orleans for a couple years when I was having my quarter-life crisis. And started, during those two years, I was looking for herb schools and just anything about herbal medicine, because I knew nothing. I was trying to, like, figure out how I could learn. I don't know. The, New Orleans, there now there's, there's an herb shop, but there wasn't an herb shop. Then there's an herb school that's going to happen soon. And then I ended up in California. In 2008, I came to California for the first time. 
So for some reason, I thought you came sooner than 2008, but still, it's been 10 years. Mm-hmm. So you've definitely made this your home in that yeah. amount of time. I mean, I pretty much came for a visit and never left, so. As most of us, once we find California, we try not to leave again if we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you got to California in 2008. When did your herbal CSA start? Well, I've been doing the herbal CSA for like making the actual CSA packages for this will be my fifth year. So for those that don't know, a CSA is community supported agriculture. So an herbal CSA is something that maybe somebody hasn't heard of. So can you really explain what an herbal CSA is? Sure. So it's taking that CSA model that vegetable farms use where shareholders pay in the beginning of the year and then the farmer's able to grow food for them throughout the year and they pick up their CSA package, whatever that is. So I do a CSA, an herbal CSA that is one package per season that includes products made with herbs that I've harvested throughout that previous season. Okay, so not necessarily things that you've grown, although some of the things you grow, it's also things you've been able to wildcraft from your land and your neighbor's land and anybody. You, we were talking earlier and you were saying that um, people call you to have you wildcraft on their property. Yeah, that's something we've done since the beginning of Wild and Wise is just taking advantage of herbs that are already growing that people are not going to use. So people love to grow gardens just to have a beautiful space, but they might not necessarily use a whole giant oregano bush. They will maybe cut it back and put it in their compost so they could call me and I'd come harvest it. So I harvest stuff in my own, yeah, my own house that I grow or that's just growing because I happen to live in a forest or my neighbors or, yeah, it's, it's always random. And that's those plants that I have access to or what inspires the products. So really, it's cool because you're just going to make whatever you have access to as opposed to being like, this season, I'm going to make, you know, you may have a guideline, but really the creations happen when you see what's growing around you at that time. Yeah. I mean, the CSA, I have ideas in my head, but mostly it's like I'm on a hike and I see something and then this whole like little ball goes rolling in my head. Oh, this, oh, I have this and I know where this is and... Then um, a theme comes from that, basically. it's The plants always decide what's, what's going to be in there. I know where you live. You live in like one of the most beautiful places on the planet in Petrolia, California. And it's among redwoods and ferns and everything else. So why don't you explain to the listeners what kind of herbs can you, more so wildcraft, because, you know, in this temperate environment, <laughs> you or your neighbors could probably grow pretty much anything. But in terms of what herbs are you finding in the forest to wildcraft for your products? Yeah. Just recently, we've had some big storms finally this winter. And normally we have had storms right since the fall, but it didn't happen. We've had a dry winter. And so I've been waiting for the usnea because it's so prolific here and especially where I live. So after the first big windy storm. I was out there gathering usnea off the ground or on branches that had broke in the storm. I mean, dug fur is growing, using fur, using a cedar growing. Yeah, all the evergreens that are around. But in our climate, we can even grow in our garden so many herbs year round. I mean, rosemary and 
parsley, sage, thyme. I mean, every, that's what I've been harvesting a lot lately. So earlier when we spoke, you were mentioning herbal, the herbal CSA, Wild and Wise herbal CSA has been in its current incarnation for the last five years. It started quite a few years before with more of a community effort. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yes. I was saying that I've been making the actual like CSA packages. This is my fifth year where I have shareholders who sign up and get their packages throughout the year. But we spent a couple years just meeting and talking and sharing lots of ideas. So we wanted to have an herb farm, uh, herb clinic, the herb CSA, all of these ideas. And we would we would meet at someone's house and we'd all talk. And that's where the name Wild and Wise came from, was from a group effort of, you know, shouting out great names. And that one was the best. And then the group, you know, got smaller and more focused. And then, well, now it's just me, but <laughs> that's where where it all started. Great. So you've really got to have community input as to what was needed and wanted from an herbal CSA. And now you get to provide that, which is really nice, you know, and not just to your community. I know I have ordered things from Colorado, you know, when I'm there and I'm sure other people can order from wherever they are. Is it just US, Canada, Mexico? Where are you shipping to? Well, so far I've just shipped to people in the US because that's where my shareholders are. But I mean, I have shareholders in Alaska, Georgia, Florida, all over, not just in Humboldt. And so tell us what they get with their with their share. Like, I know you have a newsletter. And I know that it's both like teas and external products. Give us like an idea, like what was in your last season's share? Last season was the winter CSA, which was a culinary themed CSA and you Jessica wrote the article for it so an educational article written by another herbalist is always included in the CSA but so it's one per season and there's six items per package with a a news the newsletter tells you about each product that's in there and how to use it when to use it when not to use it and then they'll have the educational article printed out as well. But the culinary themed one was one I've been thinking about for a really long time. And then it all happened. So in this, in the culinary one, I included, which I do sometimes, um, a product made by someone else. So there, I really wanted to have a hot sauce, but there's already someone in Petrolia that makes better hot sauce than I can make. So I included their hot sauce. There was another product in there Made, that was inspired by our other friend, Jessica Shepard. I made a fire cider salt sprinkle with the dehydrated the mark after straining the fire cider, which was her idea from her fire cider, fire cider, dusted nuts. Yes, her, the fairy dust. Uh, Award-winning. The award-winning <laughs> at the last International Herb Symposium, in case you haven't heard. <laughs> Okay, so they got hot sauce, they got some dehydrated fire cider sprinkles. They got a respiratory tea. Which is delicious. A sage and ginger honey. And, oh my gosh, 
I'm not supposed to be saying and. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. You don't have to remember everything. I know there's a lot of questions going on. So basically, (laughs) listeners, there's a lot of really cool stuff. And that's what I was getting. Can't remember. You know, is there's a lot going on. So we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk just a little bit more about herbalism. We kind of touched on you wanted to learn about herbalism, but we really didn't talk about who your teachers are and kind of your approach to herbalism. And we're going to talk a little bit about herbal certification, then eventually a little bit about the cannabis culture, community, industry. I don't know what we're calling it these days. So we'll also talk about that when we come back with Nicole Gagliano of Wild and Wise Herbal CSA. Welcome back to the Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. I am talking to Nicole Gagliano from Wild and Wise Herbal CSA from Petrolia, California. Let's talk a little bit about your first uh, herbal teachers and how you really began your study of herbalism. I studied with Krista Sinodinos, the Northwest School for Botanical Studies here in Humboldt. I did both of her programs and I also worked for her. So I was her medicine maker for her tincture line, Alpine Meadow Botanicals. So I was with her for years. And what is her school like in terms of, I know, especially compared to where I went to school first, which was the Dandelion Herbal Center with Jane Bothwell, it was not as, I don't want to say rigorous as of a study, but I definitely know that Krista is very, I don't want, I mean, obviously we're all super intelligent, but she seems to be really professional and her school seems like there's, there's a seriousness to it that I feel like Jane's school has more of a reputation of being, you know, way more like earth-based and what we love about Jane, which is like a super hippie and fairy, (laughs) you know, and we're all like energetic up there. But Krista's school seems like if you want I don't want to say a more serious study, but it seems... No, I mean, what you're like saying is right, is... You know? Is correct. <laughs> which is awesome that we can have both of those in yeah. Humboldt County and be able to have access to, and we're kind of up here in the middle of nowhere. You I know? think taking both programs would give you, like, everything. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know? Or two big chunks. Yeah. I mean, it was four days a week, full days. You know, you beat a class on time, sitting there ready. <laughs> Yeah, very structured, which, I mean, I love Krista. You know, she. I'm so glad that's my first herb school and herb class experience. And she'll forever be my teacher. <laughs> but then I've taken, I haven't taken classes with Jane, but I've taken her visiting herbalist programs. Very, very different. Yeah, totally. Yeah, both schools, but. <laughs> but yeah, I know, I've always wanted to take Krista's classes. And then I ended up going to acupuncture school. So I didn't really have that opportunity to study with her, but I am very excited about her new book. Oh, yes. And so um, I'm hoping to have Krista on the show too. 
So then she can talk about her program and her book and everything else. Um, I know she's, I believe, still signing up people for her next program. So if you do want a very structured... <laughs> And um, it's also really fun. And well, we, I know, but <laughs> and we harvest plants and we're out there. Well, and you're obviously making medicine and you're doing all the things. And we're I doing plant meditation because so much of my idea of herb school is on your own time and in your own vein. And like, yeah. I appreciate the academic side of it. I mean, as someone who like thrives on like learning as much as I can in all ways. I'm just a little upset that I never actually got to take a <laughs> I mean, class from Chris from her class. Like the physiology that we had in her class, like piqued my interest so much that I, after herb school started going to the college of the Redwoods and took some classes there. Like I took, you know, a biology class so I could then take the physiology class with this really great teacher there. Who um, did you have at CR? Ralph. Ralph Reiner. Ralph Reiner. He's the best. We love Ralph Reiner. He was my a anatomy and physiology teacher for acupuncture before, you know, oh. I went to CR before acupuncture school. He offered to come teach a private like class to herbalists if I wanted to have one at my house. Oh, <laughs> he just wow. loves, loves physiology. <laughs> he does. I mean, and he, as someone who struggled with anatomy that had cadavers, he really made like being with dead bodies as fun <laughs> as you could possibly make it, you know? So I always appreciate him for just, you know, making dead people fun, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, awesome. So you really have a pretty broad knowledge of herbalism and it sounds like that went into really being able to see how herbs are working in the body just by knowing a little bit about physiology. Yeah, I mean, I still, I'm always looking to take more. I've been trying to find a good, I don't know if I can actually do an online class. I don't know if I can force myself. I kind of need, that's why Krista's class was so awesome. I could go to school, had to be there a certain time. And so, but I'd like to take more, yeah, physiology, anatomy. So for those who, you know, may be interested in taking an online class and maybe they can't come to Humboldt and, you know, or there's not a good herb school in their community, do you find that there are any, you know, herbalists that maybe offer things either online or in somebody else's area that you would recommend or any good herb books that you really like that somebody might want to read? Well, definitely looking for herb schools in your area, what, wherever that is. I mean, now... There's so many herb classes, right, that you could take. When I was trying to look for an herb school, I was didn't know where to look and then ended up here where there's more than two herb schools that you could choose from. I've never taken an online herb class, but of course, Rosemary Gladstar has her online course that I've always wanted to do still. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of herbalists out there that it's almost hard to choose these days or to give advice and like who's the best herbalist to take a class with because there's so many. There's almost two schools of thought these days where it's like for you to claim to be a clinician as an herbalist or, you know, to even call yourself an herbalist. It's almost like you have to prove some certification. And I'm sure Krista's school came with a certification. Yeah. Saying know. how many hours the program was. and Right. So not saying you came out. I don't know. I remember I took like a community herbalist and I got my certification. And, you know, in the end, I felt like, yeah, I have enough knowledge to be able to at least 
tell people basic things about how to treat maybe not life-threatening conditions with mm-hmm. herbs, but you know, how to get over a flu faster or something like that. How do you feel about the certification that is kind of making a divide between those of us who are quote unquote, you know, registered or certified to practice herbalism and those of us who really do practice herbalism because we're using the plants in our yard and in our gardens to treat our friends and our family. And maybe we're treating clients too. Yeah. I mean, I guess the certification question is going to come up more and more because of how popular herbal medicine is becoming like more and more in the popular culture, especially with essential oils becoming so popular people to turn to for aches, pains, whatever. So I think that the plants are the people's medicine. And so maybe with more certifications, it would be harder for that to be so, because it might become, things might become more regular. I don't know which way. I just think of all these dark <laughs> turns it could take, because, you know, it's empowering to go out in your garden and make tea, and you feel better. So I think it should stay that way. But uh, as certification for being an herbalist, there's going to be a good herbalist, there's going to be a bad herbalist. You know, you get uh, reviews from people. I don't know. All these things seemed important. I mean, I went to Krista's school. I have a certification for that. Do I feel as qualified as Krista? Well, no, because I haven't been practicing for as long. You know, the practicing part, I feel really important. Absolutely. Because you can say, oh, I'm certified. I just took my online course that took me 12 weeks and now I'm a clinician. But as we know, with anything... The more practice we have, the better we're going to be at it. Yeah. I mean, you've never treated those conditions or seen how it, you could, you've read things of how those plants worked with other clients, but you don't really have that practical knowledge yet. So it's, you know, book smart is totally different than actually being one-on-one with somebody and seeing what's going on. Yes. So a doctor has a certification, but he might be not a good doctor. Some are good. Some are bad. Some are really bad and some are great. We were talking about this earlier, man. There's C students everywhere and they all practice in the end. And, you know, so there's the whole gamut of of good clinician and not good clinician. So a certification definitely does not just mean all of a sudden that you're qualified to be there. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's take a break and then we're going to come back to a different conversation that is pretty relevant for where we live up here in Humboldt County. And it's relevant just because cannabis has been in the news so much as a medicine and it's newfound place as, you know, the cure all for everything. And how as herbalist, we know that (laughs) that's not really how the world works. So we'll come back with Nicole and we will discuss more about herbalism medicine making, wild crafting, (laughs) cannabis, advice for budding herbalists, and more. on the Herb Walk with Jessica Baker talking to Nicole Gagliano of Wild and Wise Herbal CSA. 
Nicole is an herbalist, a wildcrafter, and a medicine maker. And during the break, we were just discussing wildcrafting because that's such a, um, you know, it's kind of a hot topic right now because there's so many people now interested in herbalism and learning how to identify our medicinal plants. So as someone who wildcrafts and grows herbs for their products, what's your advice for people who want to wildcraft or just what's your opinion on do we feel like as herbalists we're over harvesting our plants? I mean, th- there's obviously proof of that happening, but yeah. but kind of what's your opinion on that? Well, we are definitely over harvesting lots of plants. Well, let's see. The first thing you can do is become a United Plant Savers member and look at their list of either endangered plants or on the to watch list. I mean, there's plants on there you probably wouldn't think were on there or you don't know and or you don't know are endangered. Learning to identify the plant, obviously, to know what they are. And then, you know, also knowing their current status. But I mean, just growing plants in your garden of a plant that you like and you want to use as medicine. I am wildcrafting stuff that's growing around me, but it's things that I feel like are growing very prolifically. And I'm using, you know, very small amounts of like compared to what what is growing. I mean, I'm. I don't, I don't know what to say a percentage of, you know, I mean, Usnia is prolific here and I'm not going to take it all off of the tree branches. I'm getting stuff that's fallen on the ground as, you know, uh, one of my wild crafting uh, practices. Because <laughs> I heard an herbalist say once that where they live, Usnia was not prolific and they actually took it off the ground to throw it back into the trees to get it to mm-hmm. grow some more. <laughs> So yeah, it's really depending on one, your ecosystem around you. And I think another important part is understanding the life cycle of the plant that you're taking. Yeah. Right. Because we have trillium that grows around here, which is like one of the most epic flowers you could ever see. But one, I don't see the amount of trillium, excuse me, that I used to. Yeah. And um, part of that is just because where I moved to now here in Trinidad, there's not as much of it here on this land as when I lived in Carlotta, and it just seemed to be all over our acreage there. But it also takes like seven years to reseed and reflower, right? So it's one of those things that I've never harvested trillium. No. <laughs> and never would I, because I had an awesome herb teacher to tell me this is a plant you you know make a flower essence of if you need part of it, but you're definitely not harvesting this plant because 20 years ago it was endangered and now yeah. it really is you know at because the of lack um, of loss of ecosystem the general store in petrolia where i live last year i kept going into the store and there would be more and more tri- cut trillium flowers in the vase no. and i would, you know kept saying who is bringing it and and told them and nobody they didn't have any idea i mean they just saw a pretty flower they didn't know that it was a trillium and that they are cutting off its food source so that it comes back the the next year. Um, and when I did um, taught an herb walk last year, we talked about trillium. I mean, just telling people, people don't know. They're not doing it to hurt the plant, you know. Getting that knowledge out there is important um, because someone else said like, oh, they mowed the whole side of this last year and there was more trilliums than ever. So I think when you cut it back, more trilliums come. Like that's... 
that they had saw, right? So, so yeah, just educating people on what's actually happening out there. And it's not really what you're observing all the time. Yeah. You know, well, great. Well, definitely appreciate your opinion on that because as someone who myself, I don't use that much medicine really that I wildcraft, but I've probably wildcrafted more than I've grown. Mm-hmm. And that just being because I've had been able to have acreage of just like wild herbs growing. So I'm like, well, I don't need to grow nettle. It's yeah, it's everywhere except for here. I have no nettle here. Yeah, I've been thinking about growing nettles this year because they're, they're at my neighbor's house and my neighbor actually chops them down because he wants to get rid of them. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm walking distance from him and I have none at my house. And I'm like, maybe I should just grow nettles because I use a ton of them for the CSA because they are so abundant here. But I could just grow them and not wildcraft them, right? I mean, right. Because here we do have a lot of herbalists. So when we think we're taking a little, we are. But per capita, there's like a lot more of us actually harvesting here than probably just about anywhere else, I would imagine. Yeah, how many herbalists are... Everyone is an herbalist here. I mean, everyone. Everyone (laughs) is an herbalist here, it seems. And then I just had a student from the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism ask about moving to Humboldt because she had been here, you know, years ago and loved it and really was like, well, isn't it oversaturated with herbalists? And I was like, there are tons of herbalists, but if you wanted to come and open a practice as an herbalist, there's really not that many people who really come out and, you know, they have their shingle that says I'm an herbalist and they're actively seeing clients. So I told her no, that I thought she would be fine, but with her personality might just, she, she might be too, um, motivated for Humboldt County (laughs) as much as I love it here. The clients might not show up. The clients, right, exactly. (laughs) The clients might not show up. Yeah. Well, by saying everyone's an herbalist, like everyone, you know, a family herbalist or that's they're still an herbalist. They went to school to learn how to use herbs for right. their family. They just aren't opening a practice. Absolutely. So she wanted to come and open a practice. And I said, hey, there's definitely not too many people opening a no. practice. But there's definitely, you will have a ton of people to talk about herbs with. And you'll be <laughs> stoked on that, you know. <laughs> so let's talk about another kind of herb that Humboldt County is known for, of course. I don't know what that is. You don't know what that is. <laughs> it is um, seaweed. <laughs> <laughs> um, which we do have an abundance here yes. too, thankfully. But um, no, it's cannabis and it's really been in the news a lot. For us here, it's, you know. Part of our life. Part of our life, same old story. Like, you know, it's, it is it is what it is. But, you know, as a medicine and in the mainstream media and, you know, with people legalizing and, you know, with so many products, be it like CBD products or, you know, everyone wants to know how they can use cannabis topical. I mean, it's amazing the quote unquote normal people that ask me about, you know, what they're calling marijuana, but I do not call it that, that, you know, racist derogatory term of cannabis is, you know, the the preferred term for me. There's a lot of changes going on in our little community as cannabis has now become legal in California and our county being one of the few who have started giving out license to cultivate and, you know, distribute and manufacture products. What do you think about, first of all, about cannabis as a medicine in general, you know, as an herbalist? 
I don't use it as a medicine personally or or in, you know, for wild and wise, but I get asked a lot of questions about it or people wanting that medicine. But until now it wasn't legal, so I never even went there. Uh, you know, I mean, I couldn't legally like have it in a CSA, but people really want to use this as medicine, right? So it's something I'm always wanting to learn more about because I've never used it. I've never even used CBD oil. I'm more concerned because I have people, friends, family friends, like you said, like quote unquote normal people who know that I live here and ask me like, can you get me some CBD oil? Because I heard it's good for brain cancer. My friend has brain cancer or something like, you know, crazy. And you have to explain to them it's not legal to 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 send to them, but people are definitely into this plant right now and want to use it. I'm worried that people are having access to um, medicine that isn't healthy that they're using, like isn't organically grown in any way. And at least like at least come July, It'll have to be tested for pesticides and microbials and, you know, all of those things. So that at least on the what we'll call the public market, as opposed to what is being sold in the private market, which isn't being tested, you know, um, at least for that, they'll know it doesn't have molds or pesticides. So people have access to that information? Before it can be sold legally, the... Person, the group or, you know, person who cultivates it has to test it. And then the distributor has to retest it before it can be sold at the dispensary. So there'll be two groups of testing that'll have to occur before it can make it to market. But when people purchase it, they can purchase organic or not organic? Or- they can purchase organic or not organic. They would just, you know, it, it can't have certain pesticides sprayed on it. You know, I don't even think it's all pesticides. I think it's just some Chip would know more about that. So we can always talk about that later on an, on another episode. <laughs> but like, how do you feel? Do you feel that cannabis is a viable medicine for people? Or like for me, I love cannabis. I use it for fun. I use it for medicine. I use it, you know, just because I want to. But as an herbalist, man, I know when there's another plant that's actually going to work better and I'm not under this illusion that cannabis is going to be curing every single thing I have and it's the one plant I'm going to have in my medicine cabinet, which is what I feel like a lot of people want right now. They want cannabis to do it all and be the one thing that they take and I don't really agree with that for any kind of plant. So what do you think? Do you think it's like just blown out of proportion or do you think it really has a place amongst all the other herbs, you know, for medicine. Well, I feel like it's being used in a form now that hasn't been used originally, or I don't know what to call it. It's not just using like smoking the plant that you grew in your backyard or something, right? It's like a it's a it's a powerful plant already and now you're I mean, oh, like the super concentrated yeah. uh, extractions, you mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's is that what you're talking about? Like, it seems like that's what people are using and wanted to use to cure everything, which is what we want all the time. We want something like a pill that we take to just get rid of everything. And that's just not realistic. Well, no. <laughs> right. Because we know it's like lifestyle and how stress reduction and diet and not just 
you can finally like have weed and so <laughs> well i mean <laughs> it's a powerful plan and you need to respect it and use it appropriately how do you feel like the legal market's going to change our little community here that you know i say little because our population's fairly small but you know it's obviously over thousands of miles of population and most of our pop you know as we know our money in this county comes from growing cannabis and selling cannabis on the private and semi quasi <laughs> public market that will soon you know that's going to shift our community basically so do you see any opportunities for herbalist in the new legal cannabis market for sure feel like if people are into that herb, why aren't they into other herbs too? <laughs> maybe herbalists could work at dispensaries, with dispensaries. You know, maybe people are coming there for that herb and they don't realize maybe they could combine it with other herbs, you know, like tincture formulas that have cannabis in it too. And other herbs are, yeah, taking advantage of all these other plants. Right. And just in that legal market, what I was thinking and what I've noticed, you know, coming from Colorado and here is there's all these, you know, quote unquote herbal products on the market, you know, and then I, when I talk to the people who formulated these products, you know, that have cannabis in it and they're basically selling it because the cannabis is what's getting people to buy their product. Right. And I'm like, oh, so I see you put this other herb in there with it. Was there a reason why? And they know nothing about any of the herbs that they actually put in there. So maybe an opportunity for herbalists in the cannabis market would be for to formulate yeah. an actual herbal product that's going to work whether the cannabis was in there or not, right? Yeah. Because it's already <laughs> a complete formula that's effective and that's just going to be enhanced, yeah. By adding cannabis to it, you know, or maybe another opportunity for an herbalist would be companion planting, right? So now you're <laughs> growing your cannabis, but maybe here's the companion plants that can grow along with it, like chrysanthemums to dissuade mites from coming in or whatever it is, you know, just, you know, I, I know a lot of farmers up here who really have no interest in ever growing anything other than that one plant. And wouldn't it be awesome yeah. <laughs> if we grew everything or as yeah. many herbs as we possibly could, you know. No monocropping. No monocropping. <laughs> but like, you know, understanding that, you the know. The benefits of companion planting or right. I just, I mean, that would definitely be healthier for the whole ecosystem if you have more plants growing. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's take a break and then we'll come back and you can give uh, your final advice and words for budding herbalist and any other information you want to give our listeners about how they can become a subscriber or a shareholder to your herbal CSA. With the Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. I'm talking to Nicole Gagliano of Wild and Wise Herbal CSA. Nicole is an herbalist, a wild crafter, a medicine maker, and I mean, kind of an all around cool girl, I think. <laughs> Just half around. Half around. Um, so, like, final words, advice for budding herbalist, 
or those that, you know, maybe just want to take an herb class, you know, what, what would be your advice be for them? Take an herb class, <laughs> learn about herbs. Well, my biggest advice, I guess, is that if you do take an herb class or an herb program and you want to be an herbalist to practice, practice, practice. <laughs> Yes, don't just read the book, but actually get out there and, and, and play with the plants and work with them and see how they're actually... Yeah, grow it. them, taste them, smell them, walk outside with them. Right, listen to them, wear them, be with them. <laughs> so for someone who was thinking maybe could they possibly have a career as an herbalist or, you know... What would your advice be if somebody was like, I really want to be an herbalist and I'm going to study really hard and I'm going to like take all these classes and then I'm going to be an herbalist and have a career out of it. What do you, what do you have to say to them? I mean, I know what I have to say. Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> right. Which is like, yes, it is possible, even though it seems like it could be, you know, one of those wistful dreams. I mean, when I told my dad that I was going to school to study herbalism when I was back in New Orleans, he was like... What's an herbalist? You can't can't do that for a living. He also said that when I said I wanted to be a chef for a living, like a cook. And he said a cook is not a job, but I clearly proved him wrong. <laughs> that one. And I think I ha now he is a shareholder of Wild and Wise. And he takes all of his herbs and he tells all of his friends about his herbalist daughter and he wants him to use the medicine, so... So, yes, you... <laughs> it's possible. It's totally possible. It's possible to make a living as an herbalist. Good. Well, I definitely know that's what people want to hear, you know. And just like everything, determination, practice, perseverance, and passion, of yeah. course. Yeah, well, always. and you have to find your passion in herbalism, what that is for you. You can't know everything about everything, about every herb, about every... Mine happens to be making medicine. That happens to be my passion in herbalism. Which we didn't even talk about how you do have a, a still and you do make hydrosols and things, as sometimes things in your herbal CSA. I do make hydrosols. <laughs> so, you know, just another little plug for your CSA. <laughs> Why don't you share with our listeners um, how they can reach you, how if they wanted to either become a shareholder of Wild and Wise or if they just want to order something from you, because people can just order some products, right? They yep. don't have to be a shareholder. No, nope, the CSA is the main part of Wild and Wise, but also I have individual products that I sell on my website, which is wildandwisecsa.com, or um, I do most of the posting on Instagram, Wild and Wise CSA, because that just seems to be the easiest way to post things for me with a three-year-old and the way it seems like where people are responding anyway yeah you know? i personally love instagram i find all kinds of art and other herbalists and music whatever so so yeah so finding you on instagram at wild and wise csa, wild and, wise CSA. and then they can order from your website yes there which... is a products page wild and wise csa.com okay perfect any last words? Oh, and right now, it's sign up for the 2018 CSA season, which the first one will be spring, so it's spring through winter. You can sign up on the website as well, or emailing wildandwisecsa at gmail.com. The becoming a shareholder is offered on a sliding scale rate. There's all the details on the website. 
Okay, great. And do you have like a maximum number? So do you cut off like if there's X amount of number of people who want that share for the season? Do you have to have a cutoff number? Yeah. So I remember the first time I ever had anybody sign up, I had about five and I was like amazed anybody would sign up. And this in 2017, I had 25 shareholders and I make 35 each season. So yeah, I sell out usually. I mean, I sold out within minutes the, the last season because people had pre-ordered because um, I only have a limited amount. So the best way is to become a shareholder. And then Absolutely. And then you're guaranteed your share instead of just being like, oh, if there's something left over, I'll yeah. order it. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal is that I will have, you know, my amount of shareholders and that'll be what it is. I mean, I'm gathering all the plants like to make tea, if I'm giving two ounces, I have to get, you know, a lot of ounces of plant material. So I do have a cutoff just because of space. But I have an apothecary being built right now. Oh, let's talk about that <laughs> before we get off the, the line here. Just so we can kind of envision you making the creations for the CSA. Yeah, well, I recently posted a picture of my apothecary that my neighbor took. If you've, baby, you saw it on Instagram. I totally it's saw a it. a little tiny white speck because I live in the middle of the forest. <laughs> Quite lucky. Um, so the right now the business is, is in every room of my house pretty much and in a, you know, in a shed. And now my partner's been building me an apothecary. And so Wild and Wise can grow and become more organized. And yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens next. Okay, great. So wildandycsa.com, wildandycsa on Instagram, and they can people can become a shareholder. And if they're one of the lucky ones that maybe there'll be a leftover product <laughs> they can get, but their best bet is to become a shareholder. And I really appreciate you coming to talk to me today. I had a great time. And um, I really can't wait to see what Wild and Wise has to offer in the future. Thanks for talking to me about Wild and Wise. My favorite thing to talk about. Oh, that's not true. Besides Wilder. <laughs> oh, which we didn't even talk about, Kilo Wilder. Well, we'll have that sorry, conversation sorry. next time when we talk about how to get your children to become herbalists as oh. well. We'll let them grow up a little bit before we put that pressure on them. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. And we will be back with another episode at a later date. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. I always appreciate any comments or suggestions that you may have. Feel free to drop me a line in the comment section below. Shoot me an email at jessicajdragonacupuncture.com or feel free to like or follow me. My Facebook page is Jessica Baker LAC and my Instagram account is Baker underscore Botanica. My website is www.bakerbotanica.com. Come on over to the website and, you know, check out the essential oils I have for sale. Check out my book, Plant Songs, Reflections on Herbal Medicine. And as always, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being a lover of plant medicine. Have a great day. <laughs>